if you ask why and you just keep asking why, almost like a little kid does, like why, 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 you can often get to the core root of it. And that root's either going to be something that's healthy for you or some deep wound that maybe you say in your inner heart of hearts in a childlike voice and you're just aware of it and you're like, okay, this is something that's part of who your current self is. Welcome to the Personal Development Without the Fluff podcast brought to you by Satori Prime. Look, if you believe that there's got to be more to life or you find yourself zagging when others are zigging, this podcast is most likely for you. We're not here to fix you because in our opinion, you're already perfect. We are here to help you remember who you truly are. That light inside of you that you thought you lost forever. I think you know the one I'm talking about, right? that one. We're brash and blunt and give it to you straight. You'll most likely love us and hate us at the same time. And for us, that's perfect. Because what we're here to do is open your heart and expand your mind so you can live your ultimate life. And if you're wanting more support at any time or just want to interact with Guy and I, find our personal development without the fluff group on Facebook and come hang out with us and other like-minded, amazing human beings. So if you're done with fantasizing about your life and you're ready to go start living it, welcome to our show. Now let's get started. Hello, my friends. So today's iTunes review comes to us from No Moat Ads. He writes or she writes, gets to the root cause of our situation. After years of looking outside for an answer to fix my problem, I believe I have found what I was looking for. Something that would stop treating the symptoms, problems, I was experiencing and get to the root cause of why I was experiencing it. This is not a band-aid approach. Rather, it will leave you feeling empowered and worthy. No moat ads. Thank you so much. That is exactly the intention of the podcast. I couldn't have said it better myself. If you email me at elon at satoriprime.com, I will get you your special gift. And if you're out there listening and you'd be willing to leave us an honest review on iTunes, I will read it and then I will send you a personalized gift as well. All right, now on with the show. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Personal Development Without the Fluff. So today we are going to go uh, pretty ethereal, I'd imagine, just uh, in having a few conversations with this uh, gentleman. Uh, David Salman, first of all, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lan. It's great to have you. So uh, yeah, David has a really, really interesting background, uh, did a lot of stuff in... Um, in the real world, I don't know how to even call it, like the 3D world, and now is all into the world of magic, which as you guys follow us, you know that Guy and I are very, very much into. So uh, David, without ruining the story here, I'd love for you just to share a bit about your journey and how you went from the man of the material to the man of the magic. Yeah, Elan, great, thanks. That, that's a really beautiful question. So, you know, we're, we're in a world where we know like there's work, there's money, there's countries, there's cause and effect, there's these physical bodies. And a lot of times the spiritual worlds, for some people, it's a really big deal. Um, Whether they found that through mystical experiences or plant medicines, or they grew up with a great energy healer or a legitimate psychic. Um, But for a lot of people, all that stuff is woo woo. And there's no real way to tell if something is you know, bogus or fraudulent from actually legit, unless you've had a lot of experience and training. 
So for me, I, uh, I had a regular high school job. I had a regular college experience. I started about 12 different companies across the gamut of AI startups for education to home improvement companies and marketing services to consulting firms and things like that. And I had been obsessed with magic since I was a kid. And when I was 12, I was studying Wicca and Reiki and Tarot and had some great feedback from the work that I did, but I didn't really take it seriously. And it led to me studying psychology, which led to Buddhism and leadership and personal growth. And all that stuff was great for all the business purposes. But I found myself in a very archetypical setting around the age of 29, 30, which for people who dive a little bit deeper into the subject matter I, I specialize in, that's the age of a Saturn return. So I, got, I went through two back-to-back near-death experiences following some pretty extreme route. Um, I was in the process of exiting one company while starting a new career. And so I was pushing on caffeine, modafinil, and Adderall for several years at that point. So my liver almost gave out, my heart almost gave out, and it was a really big phase of reviewing my life and realizing what, what really mattered. And you know that might sound cliche, but if you experience it, you're like, well, it's, it sounds familiar because it's such a familiar experience for people who have powerful transformation of high value. Sure. So to kind of cut to the chase a bit, the stuff I studied in, in early high school and middle school about magic and manifestation and astral projection, and the stuff in Zen I studied from a dojo in my early 20s, all came back when a very, very respectable, successful person in the Valley told me to see an energy healer who was very effective. I could feel what she was doing while she was doing it. She had a school with many other teachers that mixed in everything from biopsychology to esoteric um, Tibetan magical energy healing, soul reactivation stuff. So it was cool because it was integrative and it cost, it went across the gamut. And I was surrounded by people who all paid $10,000 plus room and board for the retreat center and felt there was a lot of value in this too. And I realized my, my deep desire to live a fully spiritual life in an authentic way, I was seeing people do it. And they weren't shaved headed celibate, <laughs> right? I think that's a fear a lot of us have. We're like, oh, I care about spirituality, but what, what happens if I fully let that into my life? Will I be a caricature? And, you know, likely the result is no, but, you know, so what if you are for a year? What if you feel called to that experience? So now where I'm at, I have a site called Magical Golden Age. So anybody who wants to talk with me further, casually, professionally, uh, any way I can be of service. Uh, at magicalgoldenage.com, they can go contact, they can fill out a quick little thing for a mastermind. And I help people connect with their spiritual selves in an authentic way um, that is practical in their day-to-day life. So some of the things we talked about before the show are connecting with your intuition and knowing the difference between like the clear voice of your intuition or what more spiritual folks might say, your higher self, versus delusion, imagination, fantasy. So especially if you're going into a new phase of life, if you're entering a new career, a new relationship, or big changes, if you build this skill, you have the ability to make really good and accurate decisions even before you've consciously absorbed all the facts that you know normally can take time to absorb in a completely new setting. So let's let's talk about that because I I really like that story. But before we do the intuition delusion thing, I'm just curious, what kind of household did you grow up in that you know 
magic and Reiki and all this stuff was accessible? Were your parents into this? How did you come across this? You know, I grew up in in a rela- relatively free place. I was an only child. My dad was pretty busy with work. My mom was pretty creative and talked about psychic and astrology stuff, mm. but not in a deeply professional way. So she would talk about it as if it were real, which to her it was, but she didn't study it academically or practice it professionally. So my dad, who was always very logical, was quick to to challenge it. And she wasn't able to she wasn't able to support it with say the the two dozen references I can rip off, riff off if I needed to on command. So that that built up this dichotomy in me where there was a very strong left brain presence, a very strong right brain presence. And like a lot of people do growing up, I wanted to have harmony between those energies. Yeah. So in a lot of my studies, you know, I was a pretty introverted kid. I would spend a lot of time after school at bookstores. Um, you know, I was, I was pretty fit in shape, but I wasn't really active in team sports. So my my social time was talking with people at the psychology metaphysics section of bookstores. Wow. And so I built up the ability to not just take in information, but to synthesize it in a way that was useful for people. Um, and what ended up happening is my grandmother was in the concentration camps for a few years. So health conditions were in my family. So very oftentimes I was being of service to help people solve problems with their physical and mental health. And because of that, that led me to learning more and more and more so I could serve them better. Um, And I thought about being pre-med and that didn't really work out because I saw the whole insurance industry thing and the pharmaceutical sponsorship thing. And I wasn't wasn't really feeling that was right for me. Um, So eventually over time, I just put all these disciplines together and learned a few other really valuable skills like um, healers who replicate in laboratory experiments using what the average person might call the controlled placebo effect to really, really heal and accelerate the healing of, um, I'd say almost anything that the rational mind can conceive of. Yeah. Kind of like the Joe Dispenza world of work. Yeah. Joe Dispenza is great. I've, uh, I've worked on with a lot of his methods. They're actually quite effective. And then a few other people that I could mention and go into. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. So let's dive into this intuition uh, and delusion, because I think intuition is something that gets thrown around a lot. Uh, people obviously want to trust this intuitive guidance that they have. Uh, and I think a lot of the times people have this thing like, well, I trusted my intuition, but it led me here. Um, so you had mentioned something about the developing kind of like a process in honing the intuition and separating from delusion. So why don't we uh, jump into that? Yeah, absolutely, Elon. That's a really, really great topic. Um, and it, it's huge, too, for a lot of us who get awakened to these higher senses in very emotional moments of life. Yeah. Whether those emotional moments come from a big realization, or for a lot of people now, a lot of people are experimenting with psychedelics or using them regularly. And while people say it's sometimes the most meaningful experience in their life, you know, if you notice or perceive or decide something on substances, you generally want to wait until you've been clear for a few days and you can run those insights and epiphanies through your logical mind before making major life decisions. <laughs> you know, I think, uh, you know, you, you know, people who can relate and there's a thing at Burning Man, which Burning Man can be so incredible. And they say, don't make major life decisions for a month after mm. as much networking as there is there. There's also a lot of crazy energy that is awesome, crazy, but isn't, isn't of the natural consensus world we're in. So I, th- I think the first thing is to anchor in that knowing of 
something that feels true and consistent um, and have it be available at all emotional states, not just at peak states, whether the peak is through an activity or a biochemical change or some other mix. So what, what do you mean by that? Say, say a little bit more on like anchoring. What would you anchor? Yeah. So it's, it's nice to have a map and like a checklist of like a running something by three little checks to validate it. So a lot of people, we all, we all talk about the voices in our heads. And there's this great book called The Untethered Soul that talks about a very secular Western version of enlightenment where those voices in your head are all quiet and you are you, you are integrated. Those components yourself are all uh, taken back in as opposed to disowned. But when that voice in your head is calm and consistent, like, you know, order a salad, as uh, came up in a recent excellent movie, uh, people who saw it know the words, I don't want to spoil it if they have it. But order a salad versus, um, you know, going on a date somebody shouldn't go on or, or say having an extra drink or say, you know, just something very practical, like we've all been late to important things. And I think a really great example is you plan just enough time to get somewhere and you th- you're thinking about maybe doing a little thing extra and your intuition is always, nope, just leave right now. Yeah. Versus that frantic voice in the head says, oh, we need this, we need that, or we're not ready until we do that. And so usually the voices in the head of insecurity of worry, of what many could say the false self, are a lot more frantic. They're a lot more all over the place and they're more in tune with our emotions. And that can be confusing. You know, I have I have a practice where I support people one-on-one and sometimes it's individual sessions, but usually it's for massive transformation over a period of six to 12 months to anchor that in and prevent people from slipping backward. Uh, and that can happen. You know, you work with somebody or you make some plan, you make progress, you get a little relaxed or lazy and then you slide back. So this, this one uh, wonderful human client I have made a goal and I'll just make up an identity or call him Bill and Bill had a goal and he had a date for that goal, but his decisions came from always how we felt in the moment, not always a lot of logical step-by-step planning. And Bill said, you know, my intuition in any one moment is governed by how I feel about a thing. And that was, that was his model. And a deeply held decision point uh, to shift a relationship, the deadline that was set was surpassed twice. Bill's like, well, it doesn't feel right because of this. It doesn't feel right because of that. He said, Bill, you wanted me to help hold you accountable. I can't make the decision for you. But you know, you said you wanted to keep logical and decide logically because when you really check in with your truest self, the voice of consistency the voice of solidarity, the voice that says the same thing, no matter if you're happy or sad or excited or calm, says to do it. And when you're feeling really good versus when you're feeling less good, you have different messages from that other voice. So being able to know, I guess, who to listen to in that big cacophony, realize there are resources and there are distractions is is really huge. So again, just summarize, if, if the internal voice is calm and consistent, it's much more likely your intuition, which, uh, as some people who've done the research can know, can transcend time and space. And if the voice is more, more frantic or more urging or more, um, more egoic or uses more you know, want or desire or more childlike mentality, it's more likely you know, something else that maybe you could bring up in a session or look into later, but not 
use to guide you in the moment, um, unless it's extreme, unless you're having an, a, like an anxiety attack or something, in which case, resolve your emotional state. Don't, go, don't make the decision because, you know, as we all know, if we're triggered, the trigger is usually due to something deeper than what's just right in front of us. Absolutely. So in that world where you were talking about like the calmer voice and things like that, so I think people have, it depends. I think our listeners more than others, but let's say the the average person has a very difficult time understanding like which voice is this, which voice is that, right? Mm-hmm. So how would you guide someone to go about to figure out what is that calm voice that they can trust ongoingly as they're going through life and making these decisions? Do an experiment. So on my business card, among other things, I say I'm a magical scientist and a good scientist does experiments. You have a hypothesis, you test that hypothesis, you get a result and you repeat. And it's usually that repetition with you know a bunch of other conditions for people who know the scientific method and, and good research methods that let you draw a logical conclusions of true versus false. So a few other things is say, say you would have a habit, we'll say this with, with fitness, with exercise. Um, you know, everybody, I think, wants to exercise. A lot of us like to exercise. And most of us who have some self-awareness know the types of things we like to do versus don't like to do or are good at versus are bad at, right? It's, it's a pretty human thing. Yeah. Um, you know, e- even if people have different types of mobility based on their body, you know, it's, it's always a factor. We all, you know, most of us move in some way. Totally. So if you weightlift often and you never play tennis, and you get a, you develop a friendship with somebody who wants to play tennis with you, and you you have a voice in your head that says, you know, you're you're pretty bulked up. You should probably stretch a lot more because agility is huge in tennis. Um, and you're like, oh no, I'm fine. I'm really fit. And then you go play tennis and you sprain something, and then you have to recover from it. And then either you don't play tennis or you do yoga for a month and then restart. <laughs> You know, that inner voice was was correct. You know, and sometimes it could be very gentle. If we honor our intuition, it usually gets louder. And if we don't, it gets more silent. So your intuition might have said, you know, stretch first or, you know, get there 10 minutes early. And then maybe you'd see your your friend tennis partner stretching. So in that in that instance, the characteristic of that voice, the tone of that voice, the nature of the suggestion likely had a certain signature. And that signature might have gotten more urgent, like right before the game started. If it wasn't an official game, you probably could have delayed it by 10 minutes to stretch, or you probably, at the very least, could have asked the opinion of your friend who you know has more experience than you. Yeah. But if at that same time, when you were going to the tennis match, when you're on your way to the courts, another voice said, I don't need to stretch. I'm fit. I'm fine. I'm in great shape. I look good in the mirror. You know, I have, you know, and list all these things and was defensive and didn't leave room for dialogue and was a bit hyper, you know, that's, that's a different part of self. That's, that has a different feeling, a different signature. Um, you know, certain schools use certain, certain names and certain words for those frequencies. Um, and whatever you want to call them, you know, a lot of times in different psychological maps, you could call that a voice that's protecting something in you that wants you maybe the voice of confidence that wants you always to feel confident. And if you need to do something that says you're not 
strong enough, even if it's completely logical, I'm not strong enough to lift a car with one finger. So if that voice comes out, I'm glad. So it, yeah. be Thank you, voice. If I ever think about that. But that part of you that needs to be strong, to feel secure, for example, you know, and substitute tennis and stretching for whatever is relevant in life. But that part of you that built, lifts weights and builds muscle for security because you don't feel safe, even if it's just 2% of your being, that part might not feel comfortable feeling vulnerable, for example. Yeah. And so when that frantic voice says, I don't need to stretch, I'm fine, that's really the deeper part that doesn't want to feel vulnerable. And so what, what this stuff leads to is as you honor your truer self and you get more clear on that and shed the false self, it's very deep work that ends in ego deaths um, because the false self is component of your ego and for it to go away, that is like a death. That is the mean, the nature of ego death. And I think that's why a lot of people who have near death experiences um, in whatever form have major awakenings and generally seem happier and more whole and more aligned with their purpose after some get super spiritual, some just get practical. Um, but they lose a lot of their baggage and a lot of the story that didn't serve and a lot of the blame. So, you know, going back full circle, just to wrap up with how we started scientifically, anytime you're about to make a decision or if you're wrestling with one, just journal those two voices, just invest five minutes, do it. You know, if you really want to develop the skill and you're not in a position to, you know, say go to magical golden age and hit me up and get support, uh, do it three times a day. And if you're disciplined and you do this just for one week, that's, you know, about two hours of time total, give or take, then you're going to notice some patterns and that's going to help you build that skill and make that distinction. Um, not all of us are that disciplined or that perceptive um, and noticing something doesn't mean you've mastered it, but this is definitely a skill that anybody can learn. And then on, on far, so like say you're journaling, right? And you start to kind of decipher which voice is which voice. My experience is that, you know, when someone's in transition, obviously you're firing every holy crap, you know, facet of your body, right? So you're jumping into the unknown anytime you're transitioning in and out of something, it doesn't matter. So you're, you're in a very fight or flight type situation. So a lot of stuff's going to come up that's going to be very scary and panicky, et cetera. Um, how does one find in that process the part of themselves or the voice that's actually creating the guidance versus, you know, like how do you choose, okay, I'm going to move forward. I'm not going to move forward. Cause when you're journaling, like a lot of stuff that you're going to journal is going to be like, holy shit, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Et cetera. Like the panic voice. Right. But yeah. how does someone know which aspect of themselves to trust to move forward? I think deep down we know and the way in the moment so that the simplest way is to test it, like honor the decision one voice suggests or reflect on that voice and see what happens. Um, you know, it's great to give them names, a really excellent, fun, genius, action packed story to actually teach this through transmission is Harry Potter and the methods of rationality uh, mm -hmm. by Eliezer Yudkowsky. So if people research it, and if anybody pulls up a browser as they're listening, um, it's abbreviated hpmor.com. 
And there's a podcast with 100 voice actors. The whole thing is free. It's really good. Hmm. And in the story, Harry's sorted into Ravenclaw. Quirrell teaches battle magic. Everybody is way, way smarter. And Harry's dad is an Oxford professor. So it's a, it's a fan fiction. And it's quite long. And in this, Harry has an inner Ravenclaw, an inner Gryffindor, an inner Hufflepuff, an inner Slytherin, and an inner version of Professor McGonagall and uh, many other people. So if you want to build this and realize it, it's a life skill, and if you have an urgent decision to make, you know, if you're building a skill at something, that generally means you're not proficient at it. So use the best support you can or, you know, hire somebody and rent a brain to help you make that decision. Mm-hmm. But generally, as you're trying to draw distinctions between these different voices, it's good to name them. You know, even Napoleon Hill in Think and Grow Rich, written 100 years ago plus, talks about this. And he calls it the Council of, in today's language, wise people. And, you, you, you know, you might have your Oprah and your Dalai Lama and many other heroes um, that you'd ask a question with. And in most of our brains, we, we have somebody who is or was close to us in life. We ask them a question and they respond with their voice and their face and their mannerisms. You know, I think all of us have had that experience. So for the voices that come up repeatedly, usually there's only a certain number of them. And if you start to pay attention, you might need to journal, but you realize you may not. You're like, oh, I have five. Oh, and there's a sixth and seventh one that speak up occasionally. And you can start to realize, oh, what are the characteristics, the intentions, the motives, the results of listening to this voice versus that voice? Um, You know, anger is something that I think as a culture we're learning how to deal with. Um, in, in the 90s and 80s, we learned that, you know, aggressive, violent anger isn't cool, it's immaturity. In the 2000s, we started realizing, hey, bullying is usually because people feel powerless and they can't express that. And so cover, we cover, they cover up sadness with anger and go towards others. Um, then with the Me Too movement, you know, not being a woman and an authority in that, I can't speak to it um, as an expert. But there is a lot of repressed anger for a lot of people who um, felt or chose um, a vibration of victimhood at some point in their lives. Um, You know, for some, you could say that's merited. I'm not going to talk about merit and victimhood because that's a three hour conversation. But just the theme of anger, you know, that energy needed to be expressed. And in a lot of people, it was expressed in a healthy way and a lot it wasn't. But that voice of anger that, you know, inside of us that say wants to snap at people that is a voice. And now I see in, in the African-American and Black communities that Marion Williamson and other people are talking about reparations. It's finally giving permission for a lot of the, the anger at oneself, at one's family, at one's society, maybe not directed at an individual, maybe not stereotyping, hopefully, towards a group of individuals based on a similar superficial trait. But it's like, oh, there's this thing to be released. And so if in that situation, maybe, you know, I think all of us had a childhood situation that we wanted to respond with energy and claim our power. And maybe that energy had some ferocity and had something like anger, not necessarily destructiveness or spite or malice, but anger is just part of the world, part of the universe. And so that voice in you that says, you know, do something like, you know, kill her, kill him, destroy this thing, get revenge. You could have an inner voice of vindictiveness. But if somebody, you know, say betrayed you, for example, and you're feeling this angry energy and you hear a vindictive voice and you hear another voice that said, let it go, everything will be okay. 
that's probably a more vo a, a better voice of maturity to follow but that doesn't mean the vindictive voice is invalid it just means you don't want to listen to its its actions right away and you want to go deeper and the deep the depth is there's some hurt there's some sadness behind that anger and that sadness needs to be released maybe through anger first and then through tears or wherever you can release sadness however you do safely and so these voices all have a purpose. Some are to listen to them exactly as they are, but some is to dig a lot deeper and then become a more complete self. Um, and I have some instructions on that on, on Wizard School on magicalgoldenage.com, but that's really something that you generally need the support of somebody, even just a close friend, to reflect back on you and ask just the question, why? And so when a voice tells you to do something um, and you're wondering, is it your intuition? If you ask why, and you just keep asking why, almost like a little kid does, like why, 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 you can often get to the core root of it. And that root's either going to be something that's healthy for you or some, some deep wound um, that maybe you say in your inner heart of hearts in a childlike voice and you're just aware of it. And you're like, okay, this is something... That's part of who your current self is. Hello, my favorite listener. That's you. I wanted to share with you some of the amazing results and breakthroughs your fellow Satorians are experiencing as we speak from being in the collective with us. So if you haven't heard about the collective or what you're missing out, check this out. So Amanda writes, a couple of years ago, I was destitute, living back with my parents at 36. I'd lost my job, was overcome with chronic illness and a strong victim mindset, and I was totally stuck. Through the influence of your training, I'm enjoying a much more fulfilling life. I've moved back home, gotten a great job, taken control of my health, and even bought the car I've always wanted. I'm ready to go even further into my awakening and manifest the life I truly deserve. I couldn't be happier to be part of this tribe of amazing human beings. Robin said to us, thank you. Since March, I've started meditating every day. I've lost 27 pounds. I've resigned from a job that I hated but stuck with because of the money. And I've already received three new job offers and even taken one of them that is paying more and I'm much happier. Plus, my relationship with my husband is flourishing too. Thank you. And Paul writes, after talking to my daughter, I now know that I feel relieved and much lighter because of it. Thank you again for everything. You guys have changed my life. I feel like I've come farther in the last few weeks than I have in the last few years. I'm so grateful for your help and support. I love you guys. Look. I know this podcast adds tremendous value to your life. My suggestion is head to satoriprime.com forward slash collective right now and jump headfirst into the collective. After all, it's only a $9 a month investment and we'll, you'll get access to Guy and I in a whole new way. You'll learn some of the most cutting edge technology that we share with our best clients, but we can't really share here on the podcast. Imagine you and us interacting with each other live every two weeks for just $9. It's incredible, as you've seen before. So if you're wanting breakthrough results in your life quickly, head to satoriprime.com forward slash collective and begin to deepen your journey as a Satorian today. So let me, let me take this in a slightly different direction because I know some of the things that I hear about intuition from people is like, hey, I trusted that voice and it led me here. And here, for whatever reason, let's say in this particular case, something didn't work out, right? Like they chose a new career path and now it's just complete struggle. It's not working, et cetera. And then they get into this place of like, 
well, that couldn't have been the right voice because I yeah. ended up here. So what would you say to, uh, to those individuals who are kind of in that, that little bit of a struggle? Um, I would say a couple things. Um, I would say get the poem by Khalil Gibran that starts, your reason and your passion are the rudder and sails of your seafaring soul. If either your sails or your rudder be broken, you can but toss and drift or else be held at standstill amid seas. For reason ruling alone is a force confining and passion unattended is a flame that burns to its own destruction. Therefore, let your soul exalt your reason to the height of passion that it may sing and let it direct your passion with reason that your passion may live through its own daily resurrection and like the phoenix rise above its own ashes. So for the more left brain of us, that's like, <laughs> what the hell did you just say? <laughs> you know, I, that, that poem is helpful if you're in a right brain mood. If you're not, you're gonna be like, what the fuck, that's not useful. Um, so for the left brain answer, and I'm gonna, I did that actually intentionally reading that whole poem. The left brain answer is include me, include cause and effect. I developed a tool after studying the Harvard Business Review Guide to Decision-Making, and this tool is actually a rating scale that takes all your subjective inputs and gives you an objective score. And I developed it actually for an example, like you said, of choosing a career. So I've been through many times in my life where I was in a startup, usually my own, and things were at a point of transition. Either I could do something very different and keep it going, or I could shut it down and say, that was a cool experiment. I learned what I learned. And at that phase, I'm like, okay, cool. I could do another startup-y thing, or I could join a bigger company and build money in the bank and have some stability, et cetera, et cetera. So it was really hard because I'm like, okay, well, there's benefits to option A and there's benefits to option B and there's cost to option A and cost to option B. And those were such a long list that every time I would say the benefit of one thing, two costs would come up and vice mm -hmm. versa. So I'm like, well, I have to write all these down. And the 20th century technique is the Benjamin Franklin technique, where you just write down the positives and negatives and see which is longer. But you do that. Usually people learn that in, you know, sales 101. Like, well, it's kind of superficial because not everything is weighted the same. Correct. So in making big decisions, it's good to get all the factors and weight all the decisions, but also note the presence you know, the, the startup could have a better culture, but if that culture is six people, how stable is that culture accurate, really? And how stable is that position? If the company is closer, but it's 20 more hours a week, like the bigger company, you know, how do you actually weigh those? So if you can get really clear on yourself for how you make decisions, that's really important. And so then to come full circle, you have the inner voice. And what a lot of executives that I've talked with have said is that inner voice is often the tiebreaker. Or if I have a couple unknowns, I trust the inner voice. Maybe that's because it's been true in the past. Maybe you've done a ton of the research showing the subconscious is like the embodied mind um, or that as Carl Jung's, the collective unconscious that spans time and space that holds all knowledge and information because consciousness is multidimensional and the 3D world is only in three dimensions so that you can actually access more info. So if, if you have one major data point that you don't have, do you trust your intuition if it's very strong? And I also say, look at your track record. You know, if you haven't studied intuition, why would you rely on it? And if you don't have a great track record, why would you rely on it? It's like if you have a company and you have 
a bunch of developers, very, very common out here in Silicon Valley. And say it's a decent size, you have 20 developers. And, you know, a lot of people deal with bugs constantly because software updates and new user scenarios and all that stuff. And say that you have a bug and you're like, well, I, I think Jennifer caused that bug. So I'm going to put her on a different project or different team or take away from the code. You know, that's an experiment. And if you have no more bugs of that nature and you used to have a ton of them of a certain characteristic, the likelihood that Jennifer was the cause or effect might be true. But if you have an intuition that it could be Jennifer and you take her off the team and actually things decline and you realize Jennifer was your biggest asset and she was preventing the bugs from getting worse and then you realize your intuition was false. And so what you want to do in, in cases like this is realize what you thought was your intuition or maybe just your intuition in general isn't at the level where you can rely on it for your decisions alone. You need more data. And the weight of your intuition could be 10% of the decision, could be more, but maybe shouldn't be 100%. And especially if there's a very painful life event, like you made a choice and it wasn't the right choice, and you could spiritually justify it and say, oh, I, it was a learning experience, but you know, you know you, where you wanted to your life to go, and there's other learning experiences out there, and you want to, you want to be able to be in flow and in a constant upward spiral. So maybe it's worth learning about this thing and not just assuming you know about it. You know, if, if we all approach backflips that way, we'd all have cracked heads. You know, yeah. it's, it's to learn about and practice a backflip in a safe setting a ton of times before you do it and trust that it'll work. And I'd say that the same is true with intuition. Once you have the data that what you think is intuition accurately serves you as you feel it should, then you can rely on it. Until then, it's a skill like everything. And that, that skill has a continuum and a path of learning. Um, you you had mentioned some interesting books. I'm curious, um, are there any books that you specifically recommend around the study of intuition and, and this kind of world? Yeah, um, I think The Untethered Soul is really excellent. Yeah, um, I think, yeah, I mentioned that earlier. I think it's really good to get understand and under to have an understanding and clarity. Um, there's an oldie book goodie called Power Versus Force by David Hawkins, and that that is a bit more esoteric as it goes on, but it's a beautiful book about leveraging energy. Uh, essentially, if anybody who has practiced Aikido knows this, you can use you know, 50 pounds of force to move a person or object, or you could use 10 pounds in the right angle and application and achieve the same result. Hmm. So intuition is often celebrated as an efficient way of making decisions, using less force, having more power, accomplishing more with less. And so to get an appreciation for that phenomenon, um, that book is extremely useful. There's, there's also the books Blink and Think, and I normally don't recommend a book and its its counterpoint. And I think think is a bit too critical, um, but it's always good to hear a counterpoint to something that you know seems amazing. And so Blink, Welcome Gladwell, is a great book about decisions that were made on the spot very quickly and efficiently and immediately. And I think the author of Think, who criticized it, um, said, you know, you can't rely on this for everything. What if what if it's not good? You can only give positive examples to support your point and a few straw man negative examples. But what about the people like, you know, Elon, some of the folks you mentioned who thought they had a snap decision with their intuition and it, it wasn't good. Um, so I do that to really 
learn the value and also respect the level of skill development that takes place over time. Um, and then for, I'd say for intuition in general, um, and for transformation to, to trusting spirit in a path of training, there's a book called Way of the Peaceful Warrior, and that doesn't go as deep into intuition, but it talks about having a material identity just based on the material world and the stories that are very common that a lot of people hear and know and follow and finding something greater and finding richness and fulfillment and not just pleasure and excitement. And we have the Peaceful Warriors part of a series. It's an excellent book. And again, it's, it was written a while ago, but sometimes having books that are a bit older is, is really nice because yeah. you have many communities of people saying how it helped them over years, which is more data than just, you know, something which has sold very well recently and has a couple of celebrity endorsements and it just happens to be popular in the present moment. Totally. Uh, was was intuition the thing that had you shift kind of from the uh, valley world into this more magical realms? Well, I'd say the I'd say it was both, and I'd say it was actually the integration. The magical realms provided value. I was having stomach issues, and I took MRIs, and I saw specialists, and they didn't really help. They they gave me pharmaceutical solutions to make me feel better for a period of time, but not resolve the problem. When I got acupuncture and when I had a really good um, Chinese medical intuitive check out my system, they said, well, the cause of this GI stuff is X and you can still do the Western stuff as you feel you need it. We're not going to knock that. But if you really want to solve something, you address, and it was, it was stagnation. It was a uh, chi stagnation just related to my other stuff that I mentioned earlier. And once I took the steps to resolve a lot of that stagnation, the symptoms went away because I addressed the cause. So I realized that the more woo stuff actually did have value in my case, and it proved itself by being relevant in the other worlds. Um, and a pivotal moment is when I read some of Dean Radin's research. Dean Radin is, an, is, Radin is an excellent academic and researcher, and he has books with tons and tons of data and scientific studies and anatomy of the brain and neurobiology and all this stuff. Like Joe Dispenza, Dean Radin looks at things that are a bit more fringe, a bit more, you know, super normal, which is happens to be the title of the book that convinced me that this stuff was worth investing more time in. Hmm. So once my logical brain went along and said, you know, school curriculum said one thing, but schools don't have all the knowledge in the world. Wikipedia says one thing, but there's people who are literally paid to keep Wikipedia articles consistent so they support big industry. You can just, you know, Google that and read a few articles to its point. And if something is true, it's true. It doesn't matter your opinion. It doesn't matter the voice of an intense skeptic. You know, if something is true, it's true. You know, gravity is what it is, no matter what anybody's opinion on <laughs> it, right? So for somebody to say psychic abilities are real, auras are real, chi is real, um, talking with non-embodied spirits is real. Reincarnation is real. If you've never heard any data supporting that, you might think they're a wacko. But if you're like me and you've read, you know, dozens and dozens of books on the subjects and had a lot of experiences and a lot of sober experiences, I should add to the more skeptical folks, you realize those things are just as much a component of the world as gravity. There's just as much data and you have to have your head in the sand to look at the data and say that's that doesn't actually exist. Um, 
And I, th I think it takes a braver soul to admit they were wrong than just to constantly say, um, you know, the world is wrong and they're right and they're going to criticize something because they're unfamiliar with it and just want to repeat statements they heard in the past without sure. actually doing some of the research themselves or reviewing in a legitimate way the people who've done the research in in a way that shows transparency and credibility. Totally. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It's It's really interesting to note I think as you open yourself up more and more to this world, uh, the unreal and the magical becomes kind of like the normal state more and more and more as you just start to be in it and trust it and experiment it and be around others. Um, but yeah, definitely the science, you know, for, for the way that we're human beings are today, it's definitely necessary. Um, David, this was uh, very interesting, to say the least. Uh, I love the work that you're bringing through the world. And um, can you just state your uh, website one more time for people if they want to connect with you or if there's anything you know, anything else that you want to share about how to connect with you? Yeah, sure, Yolan. So the best way to connect with me is on magicalgoldenage.com. And if, if you have a question, it's much better just to ask me directly. I, I respond to most emails pretty quickly during the work week. And... It's, it's much faster than just sorting through stuff. Um, I have a more traditional career background on LinkedIn. So I'm David Solomon in Palo Alto. The same profile photo on there is in my website and on my Facebook, which is facebook.com slash david.magic.solomon. Um, I also have a book out called Magic is Real, How to Create Reality, Manifest Miracles, and Make Spirituality Fun Again. So as the, the title might, might imply, it's a very fun, magical book. And it does have a lot of the references I mentioned in here. So if you're curious about a lot of the names and stuff, you can you know check that out or get a Kindle. And if you just want you know the name stuff, you know shoot me an email or get the book on Kindle, speed read it, and return it within a week. Um, <laughs> because you know I'm I'm happy to be of service, and I know abundance comes you know however it needs to come. Um, but I think the bigger the bigger thing, guys, if anybody wants to learn these skills. Um, I'm more than happy to support one-on-one, -on -one, whether that's in a call, a video chat, flying out somewhere to give a workshop uh, in a company, um, or you know, talk over time, especially helping people through a major transition to be in a phase of life where they can really flourish. Um, because of my business experience and time at Stanford Business School, I can be as much in the material world as people like. And because of all the shamanic and other training, I can be as much in the spiritual world as people like. So if uh, if people want to build skills or abilities in both or just focus on one, I'm really flexible and it's it's really fun to be able to play in uh, in both spaces. Awesome. Uh, thank you for, so much for being here. Thank you so much for sharing your gift with the world. Uh, we'll have all the links that David mentioned in the show notes. So you guys, if you're driving, don't worry about it. You can just grab, uh, grab them on the website and uh, we'll see you on the next Personal Development Without the Fluff podcast. Have an amazing day, everyone. Hey, hey, before you go, I just wanted to remind you to go lock in your $9 per month for life offer to join our collective. I promise if you like this podcast, you will absolutely love what we're sharing inside of the collective. Again, just head to satoriprime.com forward slash collective and you can lock that price in. These are the same tools that we share with our personal one-on-one -on -one clients and those guys pay us tens of thousands of dollars to work with us. You can have them for just nine 
$50 a month. Again, satoriprime.com forward slash The Collective. And as always, we'd love to hear your honest reviews of our show. So if you head to iTunes and leave us a review right now, you could actually be next week's lucky winner. And lastly, if you do want to connect with Guy and I, head to Facebook right now, join our personal development without the fluff private group, ask for permission. There's a ton of amazing exclusive content there as well. And you get to communicate and interact with Guy and I on an ongoing basis. So as always, thank you for your trust, your loyalty, and your listening. We do not take it for granted. We really, really appreciate it. We love you and we'll see you next time.